Hey, it's Chris Tannehill here from Locked On White Sox. Don't forget to start your morning with the news that matters in just 10 minutes. Axios Today host Nyla Boodoo and a team of award-winning journalists will bring you the latest analysis and insight into the trends shaping our world. And now, let's get on with the show. White Sox! White Sox! Go! 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 go. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know? Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence. With me, as always, is Chris Tannehill. Chris, how you doing today? Doing great, Herbie. Episode 53 of Locked on White Sox is brought to you by rockauto.com. You know, with the ever-increasing numbers and makes and models of automobiles, it's basically impossible to stock all the parts your car will ever need in a traditional chain storefront. So why endure the pointless or seemingly intimidating questions Wait while the counter orders the parts on his computer. You know, you got people in front of you in line. Why do all that when you can just go to rockauto.com and get all the parts your car will ever need? You know, one reason to repair and maintain your car is to save money that you can be using for other things in your life that are more important like food or mortgage. Why would you spend up to 30, 50, or even 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store when you can go to rockauto.com and get all those parts for a fraction of the price a lot of the times? Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and reliably low. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear sort of like how airlines do rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login oh boy do i love that so much just go in there order your parts get them sent to you and that's it no annoying email logins you can do it if you like but personally me i lose my passwords all the time so i like going in and just buying it rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers so here's what you do you go to rockauto.com right now to see all the parts available for your car or truck and write the promo code locked on in how'd you hear about us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com all right, so 53s. It's been a while since we've gone back to the jersey numbers because uh, with the recaps, like you know, where we're just trying to get the uh, get the reactions quickly as possible out to the people, but we can let this one breathe a little bit today. So not not a lot of famous 53s uh, in White Sox history. Who are you? Th- who do you think of first and foremost? We probably both think of the same guy because of recency and also he's one of our favorite players. I think ever interest in baseball and then his time with the White Sox. I think I I think positively. But who do you, who are you thinking of for 53? 
Yeah, same guy, Hector Santiago. Oh, of course, naturally. He spent some time with the twins there in between. But yeah, always always come back, old Hector. <laughs> we may see him this year too because Oh yeah. <laughs> because someone who we're gonna mention later on, you know, Clayton Richard uh came back Dick. after after a long hiatus, so um, but I, I like to think Melky Cabrera, you know, he's one of my favorite players and I was so happy when the Sox signed him and I was like, oh, here we go. It was great. Like, uh, wasn't that the time when we also got Smarja? Yeah, that was when the Sox won the offseason and David Robertson as well. That was a big offseason and we saw, oh, yeah. And then people stopped saying winning the offseason because you look at that team that underachieved or maybe they achieved Ugh. appropriately, but that was like sort of the last gasp of of that era of the Sox with, you know, Eaton and Sale and all those guys. But, yeah, Melky, one of my, you know, just fun to watch. Uh, you know, you watch him every day and he'll do something funny or something that make you smile every day uh, in, in a Sox uniform. So, yeah, shout out to Melky, who's still kicking around, I believe. Is he, is he in Pittsburgh? Where's Melky? I, I think he signed with the Mets and they released right. him right before the season. I don't know if he re if anybody else picked him up on their uh, yeah, like, taxi squad or yeah, something. He hasn't, but I'm sure he'll be somewhere at the end of this year because Melky is that dude. Yeah, he is. Always that dude. Um, DJ Carrasco, uh, who's seen a lot of Sunday night baseballs on the south side, and we'll get to that in a second. And, uh, of course, Paco Martin, 1993. I remember seeing DJ Carrasco back at uh, of Sub-T back on Tuesday. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Open mic? <laughs> yeah. He, he, was, he was great. <laughs> That's awesome. I wish I would have known that. Um yeah, so the White Sox—they're back on Sunday Night Baseball. Well, let's let's make a let's make a judgment call here. This is the Melky episode, is it not? Ah, ooh, I, mean, ooh. I guess he did more for <laughs> the White Sox in his two and a half, three years than Hector Santiago did in his whole time. But he was an All Star as an Angel. He was not that as a White Sox. So yeah, I guess so. Melky Cabrera could be the guy. He was decent as a White Sox. I'm looking at his numbers: two eighty-seven, three thirty-one, four twenty-seven. For a 108 OPS plus. Oh, what? He, he was 108 ing? Yes, he was. Right. Nice. Good for him. So, Hector Santiago, who do we get anything substantial? Uh, and when I say me, I mean the uh, mouse in my pocket I'm referring to uh, naturally. Uh, what do we, we get in return, or who do we give up to get him? It was a three team trade. So, the Angels got Hector Santiago, the Diamondbacks got Mark Trumbo, and we got. Adam Eaton. Wow, I forgot that Eaton was part of that trade. I I, I don't know why I was associate Eaton with the Addison Reed trade. Was he not part of that, or that was a different? No, tra- okay. that was Matt Davidson. Right, got, who, we got back from Addison for Addison Reed. Who, by the way, was I saw was in a game. Was it last night or the night before? Pitching in relief for the Reds. Yeah, they're getting their ass kicked thirteen nothing, and he came in and shut the door. Yeah, that's the only time you're going to see it. Home run like the day after. Yeah, he's big now. He's like. He's like my size now. Yeah, he gut. he always profiled a little bit to be someone who could fill up the old baseball pants. Uh, if you just look at his frame, he's always a big boy. He always had those tendencies. He was probably a husky lad like I was as a child. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> if we do our old thing, where like, hey, did he win us a championship? None of these guys won us a championship. Oh yeah. But then also we also say, hey, who was he traded for that got us back something? I would say. Hector Santiago is pretty good because Adam Eaton got us Lucas Giolito and right. Ronaldo Lopez and Dane Dunning. I like I like your thought process on that. I, I can be easily swayed. I, I won't die on the Melky Cabrera Hill. Uh, but yeah, so Hector Santiago episode it is, and always you know. 
uh, was a class act, you know, coming on the radio all the time and, you know, my limited interactions with him, uh, always good, uh, solid dude. Uh, so yeah, Hec- the Hector Santiago episode. All and right. And when I went to New York the, for the first time for, to see the Mets and the White Sox, he was facing Matt Harvey that day. One hitter by Matt Harvey was an infield single by Alex Rios. And I sat right next to the next section was uh, Hector Santiago's family who are from New Jersey. So it was a good time to see him out there dueling Matt Harvey. Of course, the Mets won it one nothing in a walk off. But uh, that's besides the point. Well, it's funny you mentioned that game in New York, Kirby. Um, th- that's the one thing I remember about Hector Santiago watching that game. I don't know if you remember it when you were there, but that game against the Mets, that's the time that Hector Santiago forget that he had to come out and hit. Either he wasn't told or he just forgot, but he was supposed to uh, hit leading off the inning, and the, uh, the New York Mets fans, the New York faithful, let him have it. So we're waiting for Hector, Santiago, or a pinch hitter. Hector making just his second start of the season. And I think he's down in the locker room. I think sometimes you forget that this is the National League and you actually have to hit. I think I saw a couple of players go down there to maybe remind him that, uh, hey, big boy, National League, grab Grab a bat. bat. Going to break down recent history of the White Sox on Sunday Night Baseball after a brief word from Postmates. You know, if you're like me, you're probably already thinking about what to do for dinner, even if it's Sunday morning. You know, the Sox got a big game tonight. So you're thinking about what you're going to do, the big meal you're going to have around the big game. Why not order that food with Postmates? Postmates is so clutch right now because you can get food delivered without even leaving your house or even opening the door for that matter. Perfect example today, my wife and kid, they're out with the car all day running errands. It's just me home alone. If I wanted something for one of my favorite spots, I would need to use Postmates. And given what's going on in the world today, they've created non-contact delivery. So when I order food from my local spots, everything gets left right outside my door. They've also got a cool new thing called Postmates Pickup, which you can use to order takeout from your favorite local restaurants. Listen up. You guys need to be supporting those local restaurants right now because of all that's been going on. And you can order Postmates because it's a great way to support your community as well. And don't forget, Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. No, no, no. They actually make your life easier by picking up everything you need from Walgreens and 7-Eleven and dropping it off outside your door. Just download the Postmates app on iOS or Android, find your favorite places, and get anything you want delivered within the hour. And check this out. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use promo code LOCKEDON. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. So we are gathered here today to celebrate the White Sox appearing on Sunday Night Baseball this Sunday night. And it only took a global pandemic and a Cubs-Cardinals series to be entirely wiped out. But here we are. The White Sox have returned to national television. And it's it's of importance. You know, it's just one game, uh, you know, on, on a different network. But it's very symbolic of the times that, that we're in. And, you know, our White Sox fan identity is so much on, you know, the, the past... 10 years ever since the Cubs won the World Series basically you know the, the ESPN has forgotten about the White Sox 05 World Series and every time they mention a Chicago championship the White Sox are never listed for winning one so very much part of our Sox fan identity is the chip on our shoulder 
the size of the 05 statue out in front of Guaranteed Rate Field. But so it's important that the Sox have returned to national prominence uh again not the greatest of circumstances but we'll, we'll take it nonetheless and we're going to get into this episode on, on why possibly it's been so long uh for them to return to a national television audience and their record over the past you know decade or so should be a good indicator for, uh, for that but let, let's let's take it back a little bit Sunday night baseball to me um, I've, I've always watched it as soon as we got cable when I was a kid, you know, it was always appointment viewing and I still watch it to this day, even for a little bit. Like I'm not, I'm not there for every pitch of every game on Sunday nights, but I've always found it a perfect way to cap off the week. And, you know, for me, it's always going to be John Miller and Joe Morgan. Does, does Sunday night baseball mean anything to you? Um, not really because I get jaded because of who usually is on those games and, mm-hmm. and the announcers who are, I don't think are that great. I love Matt Vaskirjian, but the Sunday night version of Matt Vaskirjian is not the one I liked. I like the old school Milwaukee, San Diego, Matt Vaskirjian, or the guy that was in studio doing the MLB network shows. Um, he just kind of syrupy and the A-Rod factor. Oh, we're like, going to get to that. Yeah, the A-Rod factor is the biggest thing in, in play here. Um, A-Rod, who famously said earlier this year that his sleeper team this year was the Astros. So that's who we're and dealing with. he also said that fucking Giovanni Urshela is the best third baseman in the American League with Matt Chapman sitting right in Oakland. Literally. Come on. <laughs> This man is terrible. Gio Urshela, a wonderful fella, <laughs> or whatever the hell, whatever the hell John Sterling says about him. Um, That's pretty good. He probably does. I, I bet you he does. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So let let's set the stage here. So Sunday night, it's going to be a, it's a great pitching matchup too, which is probably why I'm so excited about it. Um, it's Shane Bieber going for the Indians and Lucas Giolito going for the White Sox. So this is a good opportunity here. Uh, for the White Sox to show out on national television with their ace on the mound. Uh, had a great outing against the Indians last time out. It's the White Sox' first time seeing Shane Bieber. So you're expecting low-scoring pitchers duel. Hopefully we have the recap ready and the mailbag done uh, before 11 o'clock uh, with a short game here. So that that's what I hope for. So naturally, uh, you should bet the over, and uh, <laughs> and it's gonna they're both going to be knocked out by the second and third inning. But let's set the stage here. You mentioned A-Rod, who brings his uh, weird style of of broadcasting uh, to the Sunday night audience. This is from last year. The Sox were not on Sunday night baseball last year, but here's what A-Rod said after Tim Anderson had the had the bat toss against Brad Keller and you know that was the the, the moment where the Sox kind of caught the, the nation's attention uh, by their style of play and, and in particular Tim Anderson. Here's what A-Rod said about Tim Anderson uh, from about a year ago. I, I think if you flip and you do it with, with honor and respect and joy and passion, I'm all for it. You know, I think you cross the line when you start staring people down and you start, you know, showing people up. I think there's a way of doing it where it's awesome. You're celebrating with your fans and your teammates. And it's good to play with passion. I love uh, the, the classic because it, everyone lets it fly and yes. it's great for baseball. I'm fifth all time in the history of the game in strikeouts. And I had never had a problem with a pitcher just doing this. Now it's different if he's staring me all the way down to the dugout. That's different. But if he's excited and he goes about his business, I'm on to my next at bat. And, and I think there's a fine line, but but I, I do think, Buster, that there is some etiquette 
and, and there's a way of doing it where you're celebrating the game, you're celebrating the home run, and my gosh, it is hard to hit, especially with these great pitchers throwing hard. When you hit a home run, celebrate it, do it the right way. Yeah, so there's A-Rod being a hypocrite, and uh, that's the kind of uh, direct that they roll out there for a national audience. And, you know, honor, respect, passion, celebrate with your teammates. Tim Anderson did all that that day against the Royals. So th so that's we're setting the stage there. But the Sox have plenty of other players to be excited about. The guy on the mound, for one, and of course, I, I hope Yohan Moncada gets the recognition he deserves. Eloy, Moncada, if, if, the, if he gets his props, you're going to get a little bit of Luis Robert. So I hope it's a good opportunity for the country to see what the White Sox have going on. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they approach it. You know, they have less time to prep. They they thought they were prepping for Cubs Cardinals. So we'll see if they even do any of it, you know. And, and with the I haven't caught the uh, the early renditions uh, of Sunday Night Baseball. Um, so I don't know if they've been doing the player interviews uh, as, they, as they usually do. Probably not with the social distancing and all that. But I, I'll be interested to see how they approach the uh, White Sox and the national spotlight. And if you're wondering... Uh, why haven't the Sox been on uh, Sunday Night Baseball on national television? Well, it's because they've been bad. Um, the Sox have been on Sunday Night Baseball a total of 13 times since the start of 2008. And I'm using 2008 as a, as a demarcation point because that was the last year they were in the playoffs. So they've been on 13 times. Would you care to guess the record of the White Sox uh, on national television in that, in that time span on ESPN? Okay, we're counting 2008 though. Yes, right? the, the whole 2008 season, yeah, because they okay, were on they were so, on there a lot. Yeah, because they were, you know, the, I remember I was there. I was there for <laughs> the opening day when Tommy hit that home run. Um, let's see. So they won that game, and I'm trying to think they were on a ton. So they're a 90 win team. I'll give them like three wins there, and all the rest I'll give them like two. So five and eight. Okay, not far off. You're just one off. Uh, so 13 games total. They are 6-7 and seven since 2008 mm -hmm. on Sunday Night Baseball. You have to go back to May of 2013 for the last time the White Sox were on Sunday Night Baseball. And that's really a, a, an emblematic, you know, sort of a demarcation point because if you go back to that night, May of 2013, Chris Sale nearly pitched a perfect game. And I had forgotten about this game, but this is Mike Trout in his second year. Chris Sale finally getting his opportunity to start on a regular basis, and this is this is peak Chris Sale. We never got a perfect game or no hitter from Chris Sale in his in his White Sox uh, tenure, but this was as good as he had ever looked in a White Sox uniform. He goes all nine. He's perfect till the seventh inning until guess who? Mike Trout broke it up, just giving up one hit, seven strikeouts on the night. Here's what it sounded like that night in 2013. Up the middle and through a base hit. The first angel to reach base tonight against Chris Sale, and you can hear the crowd appreciating his effort tonight. In the air to right field. A one-hitter for Chris Sale. So the Sox win that night, and it never looked better for Chris Sale in a White Sox uniform. They win it by a score of 3 to nothing. That was the last time the White Sox were on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. Does it feel like seven years to you? I don't even remember that game in particular, but because when you bring up Chris Sale versus the Angels, I think of only one thing. I know. And, and Mike, Mike Trout course, Grand Slam. <laughs> yes, that's it. I mean, he's going deep into the game, eighth inning, I believe, mm -hmm. and then he pitches it with Mike Trout like a perfect pitcher's pitch, low fastball and Mike Trout deep center but yeah seven years damn I mean it makes sense the White Sox haven't been good 
this whole time. They haven't been having a re- winning record, I think, until since 2012. And right. they've been pretty poor. So, And they're the second team in this town. I know we, we kind of bristle at that. In this time, the Cubs have won a World Series. They've been good since 2015. So if they're going to come to Chicago, they're going to come and see the Cubs play versus somebody. I mean, that's the only reason why we're on Sunday Night Baseball this week is because the Cubs bowed out because the Cardinals are so <laughs> shitty. Um, so, yeah, this maybe is a coming out party so the national audience can see Lucas Giolito be the elite pitcher that he is. And then if our bats go and murder Shane Bieber, who has an 083 83. ERA right now, we can be some national shine and maybe ESPN and the national audience like, you know what? I want to see more of that. I want to see more Luis Robert. I want to see more Eloy. I want to see more Jose Abreu and give me some more Sunday night games. So let's earn it this Sunday. Yep. So to put it into context, you know, the Sox had some competitive teams. We talked about them winning the off season and the off season of 14 going into 15. But of course that coincides with Joe Madden's, uh, you know, entrance to the Cubs. So, like that, you know, the Cubs took over at that point, and the Sox were decent in parts of 15, and got off to that hot start in 16. But they they never uh, took the national stage on Sunday night. Uh, and by the way, in that game, the the Sox never looked better. They were wearing their 83s on Sunday night baseball, which was a which was was totally weird and 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 random. But it was on on point for the time on a Sunday, going with the 83 throwbacks. But um, Alexei Ramirez, he knocked C.J. Wilson out of the game, uh, scoring Tyler. Flowers and Tyler Green, so the, the double Tyler. Do you remember Ty, the Tyler Green era, Herbie? I don't remember who Tyler Green is. That that name sounds made up. <laughs> exactly, just a utility infielder type guy. Uh, but yeah, that, that was that last time that they were on Sunday night. Let's go back a little bit. So after uh, we move along to 2012, the Robin Ventura era, and uh, we'll, we'll backtrack. We'll go to uh, we're going to go from most recent all the way to to uh, further back. So September 2nd, 2012, Tigers at White Sox. The Tigers win eight to six. It's Max Scherzer versus Gavin Floyd, your man. Gavin. He usually dominated versus Detroit. I know, but not on the national stage. Why would he? Gavin only went four and two-thirds innings, and he's followed by Hector Santiago, Brian Omogroso, Layson Septimo, Dylan Axelrod, <laughs> Donnie Veal, and Brett oh, Myers. Gracious. <laughs> Brett Myers. Oh, God. He was actually a decent White Sox pitcher, even though he beat his wife in the middle of the street in Boston. What a jerk. Yeah. So, uh, allegedly. Yeah. Um, yeah, but God, that was leave some septum. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, yes. That's quite a quite a, uh, a cavalcade of White Sox relief pitchers. And that team was good too. <laughs> were they like in first place until like September? Yeah, this they were probably in first place as of September second. You know, so but this is kind of where it started to fall apart because they had the you know, Tigers ended up winning the division that year, so they lose eight to six. Uh, your man Jose Valverde with the save that night, and there's no better opportunity than to remember Ed Farmer with Lawrence Holmes uh, talking about Jose Valverde and his antics on the mound. Well, you start looking at things that he does, you know, I mean, come on, let's go. Is there a pitch in our near future? I mean, he comes out of the bullpen, he's, he looks like Orca. He's spitting water out right, left, and then to the center. There's a hop, skip, and a jump, puts his glasses and his head under his arm, and his glove under the other arm, and runs in from the uh, bullpen after a big hop, skip, and a jump. Then he gets down, attaches his socks to his hand, then grabs some dirt, fixes his glasses, fixes his hat two or three times, and then... He looks in for a sign. If I'm a batter, I'm just standing there leaning on my bat, just leaning on there Go, okay, come on. When you're ready, let me go, because you are a human rain delay. 
God, I miss Ed. And just I never heard an MLB player comp to Orca. I forgot that that was the comp with the water <laughs> spitting out. So the, the disdain for Jose Valverde. Every time I think of, of Jose Valverde, when I see his name pop up, I think of Ed just shitting all over him. But yeah, it's, uh, I thought that was funny. That was Ed Farmer with uh, Lawrence Holmes from uh, probably 2012-ish. But uh, yeah, so the Sox <laughs> dropped that one 8-6. to six. Uh, You go on to April 8th of 2012 and this was the beginning of the Robin Ventura era. Matt Harrison shuts out the White Sox 5 to nothing, which was the st- which which was the style at the time. He's going to pop up later. Matt Harrison of the Rangers shuts out the White Sox. And here's what I remember, you know, when they ushered in the Robin Ventura era, this this is what they had to say about Robin that night uh, on the broadcast for ESPN. I like when Ventura was talking before the game and he said, you know, I don't like to sit in my office. I like to walk through the clubhouse, talk to the guys. <laughs> he said, but when I do it, their heads snap like, why is the man, what's the manager want? Am I in trouble? Is there something wrong? <laughs> Hope he doesn't come to my locker. Yeah. And he's only starting to realize, oh, that's me that they're worried about. I'm now in a position of authority instead of just being one of the guys. I like the idea that he wants to go out in the clubhouse and be a part of what they're doing. It's so easy as a manager to get comfortable sitting in that office. Tito. And you lose a little bit of the feel of what's going on out in the out in the clubhouse. You want that clubhouse to be ours, not theirs, not yours, ours. He is not a stranger any place in the world. He's a, he lights up a room. Yes, he, Rob Ventura lit up the room for his entire tenure as White Sox manager, but that you hear the voice of Tito Francona in there as well, who is the, uh, the manager of the Indians as the Sox face the Indians tomorrow night. Or if you're listening to this tonight, uh, Sunday, uh, at Guaranteed Rate Field. But yeah, famously, that was the Robin Ventura lights up a room. And, uh, you know, that was how the Robin Ventura era got ushered in. Do you have any recollection of that game? That was the first opening weekend series of the year in Texas against the Rangers. But you obviously don't remember Matt Harrison and who would. But do you remember anything else about that? I don't remember any of that, and future White Sox manager Tito Francona with some great words there. Yes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, if it was in Texas, it was probably a loss, I'm guessing, because— That was the style of the know, time. <laughs> yeah, we always lose in Texas, and— um, so you so had you had home run, home runs you had home runs from Adrian Beltre, David Murphy, and Josh Hamilton, and I only remember because of how the PA announcer introduced him that night. Center fielder Josh Hamilton. <laughs> Josh Hamilton. <laughs> um, I'll never forget that because of that moment, and uh, yeah. But also in that game, Nelson Cruz grounded into a double play, scoring a run, and he hasn't been retired by the White Sox since then. And that was eight years ago, 2012. So Not since, yes, yeah. he's been killing. I mean, I just watched him the other day and get struck out by a damn Royal reliever, and I was like, how do they do that? That is like the most hard thing in the world because that series versus the White Sox earlier in the year, he was feasted. So we move on to the Ozzie Guillen years, and this is really where most of the Sunday Night Baseball appearances uh, come from, the Ozzie Guillen years, because Ozzie was basically the face of the franchise at the time, even though they had great players like Burley, Canerco, uh, Tommy, a lot of those years. But it was Ozzie because Ozzie would always give a great quote like we've talked about many times in the past. So... Ozzie Guillen's last day with the White Sox was September 26th, but a couple weeks before that, uh, they were on Sunday Night Baseball against the Tigers, and and I remember this one uh, because I was out in L.A. for the first time visiting family, and the Sox were still sort of in the, uh, you know, they weren't in the division hunt at the time, They they were pretty much out of it. Uh, but still, close enough where I was excited to watch Mark Burley go up against Max Scherzer. 
and you know we were just hanging out uh, at at one of my cousin's houses out there in in L.A. and I remember just being like, man, I'd love to watch the White Sox right now. Like, what you know? So you know, it's it's one of those things where no one's doing anything. We're just hanging out, and you're trying to get, you're trying to get the, the momentum going into someone putting on the baseball game. So finally, I had the the, the, the balls to be like, hey, you know, uh, mind if we put on the White Sox? And my dad was with me, so like that was an easy, you know, I didn't have to do much convincing because my dad wanted to watch too. And by the way, to, today's my dad's birthday. We're recording this on Saturday, so happy birthday to my father, Brian. But so I was excited to watch this game, Burley Scherzer. This is going to be a this is going to be a Jim Dandy of a ball game, and you remember this one, Herb, because I think you worked it. The White Sox lost to the Tigers, eighteen to two. Oh yes, <laughs> so classic. Please play it. Please I, play I don't it. have it. Oh, I tried to get so it. I, I I know. I asked the guys at the station today if they could find it. I asked oh. I asked studs if it was still in the system and it didn't transfer over. That one's in your drops, so oh. I, I don't think I could get it. It's but it was famously at at the end of eight. You know the the Sox were leading eight, where the Sox were trailing eighteen to nothing, and Farmer as he's throwing it to break goes to the ninth. We go. Sox need eighteen to tie. <laughs> <laughs> but the Sox lose. They 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 came up just a bit short. They tacked on two runs in the ninth inning there, so they didn't quite get their eighteen. But they got two. Uh, so after Burley uh, pitches three and a third of ten hit eight run ball, <laughs> Addison Reed, Shane Lindsay, Josh Kinney, and Will Omen come in and and mop up the job for Mark Burley that night. Uh, yeah, that that was that was not a great night for the Sox on Sunday night baseball back then, uh, September of twenty eleven. You have to go back almost an entire calendar year. You're starting to notice a trend here. The Sox few and far between on the appearances. September nineteenth, twenty ten. This is Tigers at the White Sox. John Danks. What about Danks? Versus Jeremy Bonderman. How about that for a that guy name? Jeremy, Jeremy Bonder- Bonderman. Yes, Bonderman. Scherzer. <laughs> so the Sox. Volander, Liliano. <laughs> so the Sox lose that one 9 to 7 in 11 innings. Sox actually scored four runs in the ninth inning to tie it. Uh, they tied it off of Phil Coke. And uh, and Robbie Weinhart, I guess, was a player that was uh, a human that lived and played for the Tigers at that time in 2010. Uh, and believe it or not, a leadoff walk to Manny Ramirez for the White Sox started the rally in the ninth inning for the Sox. But they eventually fell in 11 innings. Uh, moving on to June of 2010, you might remember this one. Stanley Cup night at Wrigley Field. Cubs and Sox. The Hawks had just won the Stanley Cup for the first time in you know forty mm-hmm. some years or whatever, and it was a big night. Chicago really was on the on the national stage that night because the Hawks sang the stretch, I think, and they had that big photo that you, I'm sure you guys have all seen of the, the Blackhawks team with the Cubs and Sox on the field with the Stanley Cup, and that was, you know, just to put it in context, ten years ago, like that was a thing. I mean, that Stanley Cup tour. You know, you remember being at the score at that time, and they they would bring that was a big deal when the Stanley Cup would came, would come through. Even though you knew all the disgusting things uh, that go on in and around the Stanley Cup, but they have like people that travel with it, and they put on the white gloves and they clean it all the time. So I don't think the Stanley Cup would be a thing in today's COVID age. What about you? Do you remember the? Did you ever see the cup when they brought it by? At least maybe not the other years, but in 2010, did you see it that first time? Yeah, I did. It came by every time they won the uh, Stanley Cup, and I never took a picture with it because I'm not a white. I'm not a white. <laughs> I am not a Blackhawks fan, so I felt like me taking a picture with this cup 
was me being some type of poser. I, you know, I watch hockey and I observe it, but I feel like, you know, taking a picture with it for myself would have been a faux pas. It's like, hey, I don't, I didn't earn this cup. I can't touch it because I didn't earn it. That's the the history, and I shouldn't take a picture with it. But I saw the keeper of the cup. He was there with his white gloves and people taking pictures with it, putting their bodies on it, and kissing the cup. It's like, ugh. Come on, people. You know you know what people have done with that thing? That thing is old. I know they shine it up, and I know they clean it, and they disinfect it, but no. No, no, no. Yeah, the Stanley it's- Cup would have to wear a mask today if, if it was toured around. Not even the people. The Cup would have to wear the mask. Um, but So that night, yeah, I have a picture of, I think it's me, Jason Goff, Brendan and Adam Hogue. That's why I'm surprised you're not in that picture. Um, but yeah, we we were all there when they brought the cup to the score studios at NBC Tower. But Hogue, who does a great job now covering the White Sox for NBC Sports Chicago. But yeah, he's in the photo too. And it was quite a thing. But also there's a picture of me uh, with Patrick Sharp. And that's not one of my favorite pictures because you can't get much more handsome than Patrick Sharp and you don't get much uh, uglier than me. So it's not a picture I like to show often. But yeah, that's uh, that, that was a thing that happened. And so we take you back June 13, 2010. This is Ted Lilly versus Gavin Floyd. And that was a Jim Dandy of a ball game that mm, night. I do remember this one vividly. It's great. Yeah. Um, so... Ted Lilly's got a no-hitter going into ninth into the ninth inning, and let's hear what it sounded like on ESPN. Right back to Lilly. And he broke his back. That's six. No hit, no run innings for Ted Lilly against the White Sox. Juan Pierre struggling lately. Right up the middle, base hit into center field. Pierre had been 0 for his last 11. But as a pinch hitter, he breaks up Ted Lilly's no-hitter in the ninth inning. And that is going to do it for Ted Lilly. So the Sox get one hit, one goddamn hit that night on Sunday Night Baseball. That was a frustrating game because 2010, if you remember that year, they had that stretch where they were like 25-5 and five in the middle of the year. And this was like right uh, at the at the at the precipice of that, I, I believe um, they had a real hot month in the in the middle of the season. But Gavin Floyd uh, only gave up a couple of hits that night himself. But that was a that was a great game. Carlos Marmol with the save. But yeah, that, that was an awesome night uh, for Chicago baseball. Uh, and maybe we'll see something kind of resembling that as far as the the pitching matchup goes on Sunday. As I recall, that Mr. Gavin Floyd had like six or seven innings himself of no hit ball. He did. He was yeah. out there dealing himself. So yeah, I loved that game. Even though the White Sox came up on the losing end. It was excitement, as you said. They got the cup in town. The Hawks won the championship for the first time in like 40 years. Sox were already champions. We still had bragging rights over the Cubs because they were still losers. So it was all good. It was a, a loss for the White Sox, but the atmosphere could not be beat. So that was it for 2010 season on Sunday Night Baseball. Going back to July 26, 2009, Sox at Tigers once again. Uh, you would think there's more Cubs-Sox, but there was plenty of Sox-Tigers matchups in here. Uh, as the Tigers were the big division rivals in the uh, in the two, mid two thousands, um, Sox at Tigers. Sox actually won this one five to one. This was uh, Rick Porcello taking the loss for the Tigers that night. Uh, the Sox get a four run first inning, and they get eight innings of one run ball by Clayton Richard, 
who we may see this year with the White Sox. He he was signed to a minor league deal, so he's in Schaumburg. He's he's at the ready in case they need some arms. Uh, I don't think we'll see him in that game today where they announced that it's going to be Matt Foster starting for the Sox and they're going to bullpen it today. But yeah, Clayton Richard get eight innings of one run ball. And Tony Pena comes in for the save. <laughs> Paul Konerko with the two-run blast in the first inning. And your man Gordon Beckham with the home run in that one as well. So that's Sox at Tigers, July 2009. They won 5-1. to one. Uh, Moving along, May of 2009, Sox at Rangers again. Sox, Sox lose 5-1. to one. And once again, it's Matt Harrison shutting down the White Sox. He outdueled Texas native John Danks in front of the national audience. The Sox had their lone RBI, a sack fly off the bat of Jason Nix. Um, oh, unnecessary why Jason Nix. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, him and his brother. From the unnecessary why Lance Nix, too. That's what they do. Yeah, that's what that family does. They breed baseball players, and they have an unnecessary why in their names. Um, stop me if you heard this one before. In that game for the Rangers, a home run by Ian Kinsler <laughs> to put it out of reach early for the, for the Rangers. But, of course, I mean, we got the wrong player from that high school championship team. They got Ian Kinsler. We got Brian Anderson. That's right. And uh, and I'll, I'll mention Brian Anderson here in just a bit. So May 2009, Sox lose 5-1. to one. Um, And here we go. 2008, this was a big year for the Sox on Sunday Night Baseball. They made a total of whopping five appearances that season. We take you back to September 14th. 2008 this is john danks versus kenny rogers and this was a high scoring affair Sox win this one 11 to 7 uh chris collins shout out to him uh, our former boss and big time Sox fan uh, i always think of him when i see either marcus timms or craig monroe because i believe he's the one that coined uh there's the tandem of them marcus timms monroe because they were always killing yes. the Sox, and you know they were they're both right-handed hitters and uh, you know just take your pick either one of those guys was going to kill the Sox and hit a home run off of them at any given time they played the tigers so marcus timms hits a game tying grand slam off oh. off odutel who was rock solid that year. He was one of the reasons why they made the playoffs because of his great bullpen efforts in 2008, him and, and Scott Linebrink. But then in the bottom half of the eighth, tied at seven, Dwayne Weiss, that center fielder Weiss, he uh, he answers with a grand slam of his own. Seven all here in the eighth. Two out, the 0-1 to Dwayne Weiss. A swing and a long one. Deep right field. Ordonez running back at the track. A reverse slam. Wise has slammed the Tigers. Sox lead 11-7. Light it up. I love a good reverse slam on a Sunday night. But you listen how electric that was. You had the crowd into it. Man, it was good times back in back in 08. This was even, you know, they didn't have to share the spotlight with the Bears who lost to the Panthers earlier that day. So this was like just the Sox on an island, fans excited on their way to the playoffs. Like, you know, I, I'm wondering, let's see, September 14th. Yeah, so, yeah, they didn't clinch because it took them. Famously, they played a one-game playoff. I don't know if you remember that, Herb, in 2008. I don't. So this was, uh, <laughs> um, I believe it was, uh, uh, it was Kirk McCaskill, I think. No, of course, it was <laughs> Danks. What about Danks? So, yeah, so it was an exciting, you know, stretch run of the year that year in 2008. And um, earlier in, in June, they were back-to-back weeks against the Cubs. So on June 29th, 08, Sox win this one 5-1. to one. Mark Burley outduels Sean Marshall of the Cubs. Uh, there was home runs by Carlos Quentin and your man, Brian Anderson, there he is. Finally. And, and Jim Tomey. Jim Tomey also went deep that day. Burley, just typical Burley, goes seven innings, gives up three runs, five strikeouts, and uh, Scott Linebrink and 
Bobby Jenks finished the job, and uh, of course, the, so you're saying that he held the line. He did hold the line. He, he was always on time. But also, you remember the uh, White Sox postgame callers that year. Anytime Line Brink would give up a run, even though he was pretty good that year, uh, but they would say, "Hey, I call him Line Stink." Like, oh shit, <laughs> very clever. Um, if I never have to hear that again, I'd be happy. But yeah, so Sox Cubs. They beat the Cubs 5-1, to one, uh, and then, of course, they were avenging the loss from one week prior, June twenty second, 2008, Ryan Dempster versus Javi Vasquez, and this was like when Ryan Dempster returned to a starter's role, and, you know, all we ever know him for now is uh, being below us in the baseball podcast rankings, uh, but anyway, at the time, Ryan Dempster had the thing with his glove where he would do, like, the little, the Wizzo mechanic, the doody 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 you know like so because so because he was tipping pitches or whatever so he would shake the glove uh before he he would he would he would uh, release the ball and you know the socks hitter the socks hitters could not figure him out that night it didn't help by javi vasquez surrendering up an early lead Derek lee with a two-run single in the first and the cubs never looked back aramis had a big night with two runs score two rbis and um more rbis from Derek lee and eric patterson for the Cubs, which I forgot was a thing. Well, Corey Patterson's little brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, I forgot the play. Goodness gracious. Yeah. So so he had uh, he had an RBI that night. Dempster improved his record that year to nine and two. One of the big reasons why they made the playoffs that year in two thousand eight. Uh, Javi Vasquez, though, yeah, of course, national stage, giving up the booty early and often, and uh, that was it for the Cubs that 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 uh, that night on Sunday Night Baseball. Back to Huffy Vasquez is just like, uh, he's just so annoying. I mean, it's kind of like you, Darvish, but you, Darvish, would give you a great start in between all the bad starts with the 8 million pitches that he has. And that's the same thing with Javi Vasquez. He had like five pitches. He only needed three of them. And he would throw those all for balls and then finally throw a strike and then somebody hit it over the fence. Actually, it, you know, Javi's stuff kind of reminds me of Dylan Cease a little bit. You know, like... Just kind of all over the place at times. You don't really know what you're getting from inning to inning, pitch to pitch. You know, Dylan was great last night, but, you know, couldn't spot the fastball. And, you know, it's guy guys with a lot of stuff but can't always harness it and can't really just pick. You see Lucas Giolito just goes two pitches out there, you know, mm-hmm. but, but, he's, but he's pinpoint accurate and knows how to, how to, you know, explore all the quadrants of the strike zone. So, yeah, but, but guys with all the pitches in the world and all the stuff, usually pretty frustrating. It's not until they figure it out and figure out what works best for them, which is simplicity is usually the key. Uh, for starting pitching but yeah that was a not a great night for Javi Vasquez we were pretty much uh that was only the beginning of Javi disappointing us that year um as he uh started game one for the Sox in the uh that division series against the Rays that year but uh going back to May 15th 2008 I remember this one pretty vividly because this was the Carlos Quinton year and you had John Lackey Sox Angels John Lackey was on the mound uh, against Jose Contreras, Sox win this one three to two, and this was sort of the last time we saw dominant Jose Contreras. Only giving up the two runs, uh, and all the scoring for the White Sox come off the bat of Carlos Quinton, who had a huge year that year. He had well over thirty homers, and this is what uh, his first homer of the night sounded like from John Miller. And Griffey only one home run his last twenty-five games. And Quinton, speaking of the big fly, way way back and gone. A home run! Carlos Quentin with number 13. He leads the American League. 
So there's a that guy for you, Carlos Quinton, and then he would later walk it off off Lackey, who also went all nine that night. And that was that was a great game, great pitchers matchup, a crackling baseball game. And um, yeah, Carlos Quinton later on, uh, not long after that, would disappoint all of us in September when he he cracked his wrist or broke his wrist, uh, slamming his hat against the bat out of frustration, and that pretty much killed any chances of the Sox advancing in the playoffs. Uh, even though they still had some firepower, but he was on on a trajectory to be the league MVP that year. You heard him leading the league in home runs there uh, back in uh, in May. But yeah, that was that was May fifteenth of '08 in uh, Carlos Quinton's. Uh, Big year for the Sox. Yeah, he was uh, very hot that year. I think he had 36 home runs, somewhere in the 300 range for a bat or for a batting average. But yeah, he was carrying the team unexpectedly. That he broke his wrist. I think it was versus Cleveland. Yes. Uh, versus you know just a innocuous. Oh, I'm pissed at myself for not hitting that ball, and then broke his wrist because he's so damn intense. Didn't take any. He took the fun out of baseball too. Like he would, the only thing I loved about him was the home runs and then the bat flinging. Like he yes. would toss the fuck out of that bat before it was fashionable. I was like, man, this is taking me back to Sean Dunstan days. So <laughs> yeah, uh, that was it. He was like very hot that year and then never really regained that form. And the rest of his career it was sad. And I wanted to trade him after that 2008 year, but no one was listening to me. Katie Williams, you fucked up. Yeah, you you're right about that. I'll, I'll give you credit for that. You know, you're you're usually a guy who errs on the side of trade people when their value is high. But I think at the time, you know, Quentin was still young under under cost control, and he was an all star that year. And you're like, oh, maybe they found something here. But as you you know, baseball will will prove time and time again. You know, there are, you know people don't get lucky. You know, and and usually the, the talent will prevail, and and injuries didn't certainly didn't help him. But yeah, Carlos Quentin never really matched that year in 2008 and I, I wish we could have seen him in the playoffs that year it might have been mm. a different series because he was hot the entire year you know so mm-hmm. um but yeah as i mentioned one of the last uh, times we saw dominant jose Contreras pitching a, pl- a complete game there in 08 you know he sh- showed flashes here and there but that was like sort of the end of that run for jose Contreras. but against a uh, a rival at the time the angels uh and, and john lackey um but yeah that, that was may 15 2008 carlos quinn with the walk off and uh yeah, and we go back to finally one last appearance on Sunday Night Baseball, uh, going back to 2008 and the 13 appearances for the Sox since then. April 6, 2008, Sox 13, Detroit 2. Mark Burley, Burley, he's Burley as always, goes seven, scatters seven hits, gives up just one earned run. The Sox pound a young pitcher that night by the name of Justin Verlander. You may have heard of him. Um, they got RBIs from Joe Creedy. Juan Uribe. And... Carlos Quinn, Nick Swisher, and Orlando Cabrera. Oh, Nick Swisher! Wow, two tools at the end, right there. Odo Cabrera and Swisher. Yeah, but team right there. But the O dog, a good good type of tool, though. Yeah, he was he was like the one. He's like the balance of Swisher. Like if you have a Swisher and Swisher, by the way, I hate as a person. I know hating as a player. Right. Um, Swisher and, and and Cabrera were like the 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 balance in the universe that year for the Sox and. You know, we talked about Orlando Cabrera's odd at bat against Grant Balfour in the uh, in the ALDS that year, but yeah, that was that was a uh, 2008 Sox winning uh, against the Tigers, 13 to two, and uh, yeah, that that sums it up for the 13 appearances of the White Sox on Sunday Night Baseball uh, since 2008. So, like once again, 
they go six and seven over the last 13 starts on Sunday Night Baseball and hope to even their record on, on national television to 500 as Lucas Giolito and Shane Bieber take the mound Sunday night. Tonight, if you're listening to this Sunday morning. So, yeah. I'm looking forward to it, man. Like you know, I, I mentioned earlier in the Postmates read that uh, that I, I may order some something some special. If you're welcome to come over, if you like, and you know, I, I'm sure we'll do a recap of it, setting up the setting the table. I mean, why not? That seems like a good place to start the week uh, with a game recap and a mailbag. So yeah, maybe we can watch it together if you're not doing anything. Do you want to like come over and watch it? Yeah, it sounds good. Thank you. We can uh, have a fort, build a, a fort, and watch the game. And yeah. Have, yeah, definitely have some Postmates, 100 percent on that. But I, I think it mistakenly confused 2008 with 2006 because I think I said that Tommy hit a home run uh, when I was there, and so yes, that's my mistake. I want to correct that, folks. Sorry. Oh God. That earlier. We all. I know you guys have been been bitching since then. Like her fucking up. Yeah, we all wanted to say something. Is not 2006. Her- I, I want to embarrass you because I, obviously I was at that game in 2006. It was one of the great nights of my life. Seeing the banner, waiting for a three-hour rain delay, then seeing Jim Tomey hit that home run into the rain. Oh, it's a great night to be a Sox fan. But uh, yeah, we yeah, all didn't I'll come over tomorrow though. It'll be great. Yeah, maybe we could do that. We'll we'll see what's going on here. Um, yeah, so that that does it for. Today's episode of Locked on White Sox, episode 53. So you get the Matt Vaskersian and A-Rod experience on Sunday Night Baseball. And, you know, obviously we'll recap it all and uh, share some of the odd moments because with A-Rod always comes odd moments. She wants some more salsa. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. This is your last chance hearing us this week. And so that means there's still opportunity to jump in on the uh, Mailbag Monday episode. Tell them how they can do that, Irby. You email us at LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. Send us some questions, your suggestions, uh, just anything you want to talk about. Send it to LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. While you're doing that, how about you follow us on Twitter, at LockedOnSocks, and also on Instagram. We don't do much on Instagram, but, you know, Twitter's our main uh portal that we use for our social media locked on socks and individually it is at chris Tannehill for mr Tannehill, and it's at ector wall 23 for myself herb lawrence so for chris Tannehill, this is herb lawrence thank you for listening to episode number 53 of locked on socks <laughs>